Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Whitburn Pentecostal Church today. Um, I don't know about you, it just feels like home to me, um, and it's just like coming to my, my second home. Um, but welcome to those who are online as well today. Great to have you with us. I hope you, you can uh, stay tuned in with us right through to the end of the service today. We're going to worship God. We're going to give praise to our God. Um, I was just saying uh, to Elsie there, um, just on Friday, I think it was Friday night, we just watched the sun going down, and this just big massive red ball just disappearing down below the horizon, and you just kind of think, up it comes again the following day, and we just take, it just made me realize that there are so many things that we take for granted, and I just felt so blessed and thankful, um, and yeah, I, I just kind of think we, we can sometimes miss the obvious things that are right around us all the time things that we can be thankful for. And, and so as we come to worship God today, let's come with thankful hearts. We're going to praise him, we're going to worship him, but let's, throughout our praise, throughout our prayers and our worship, let's be thankful uh, for all that he has done for us. And let's really seek to bless his name this morning. So we're going to stand in just a little minute to worship, to praise, but let me pray and uh, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit into our gathering today. Father, we thank you that you are here already. We don't need to welcome you in that sense, but Father, we do invite you to come and to speak to us and to meet with us today. Father, whether we're in, uh, in the building or whether we're online, Lord, we just look to you. We look for your presence in our gathering today. Father, we pray that you'd move amongst us today. Lord, may our whole beings uh, be open and receptive to worship you, but Father, also to receive from you and be able to hear your voice today. And so, Father, we just pray that you'd move amongst us. Father, we are so grateful, we're so thankful for all that you have done for us. Lord, as we look around, there are so many things that we can give you thanks for, even in the midst of what seems to be a chaotic world. Uh, Father, there are things that we can be thankful for. And so, Lord, help us to see those things and to give you thanks, to actively give you thanks for those things. We give you thanks today for each other. We give you thanks for the building that we're meeting in and for the technology that allows us to uh, stream our services today so that those who uh, can't be with us in person can be with us online. And Father, we pray for your church. Lord, we ask that you would move in your church, this church and the surrounding churches in this area. Father, we pray that you would move and that you would open up uh, new things for your church in the days that lie ahead. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
Father, we just think of the words in verse 3 of that last song that we sung. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And Father, I pray that that would be our experience. Father, as we wake up day by day, Father, that that would be our experience, that you are commanding our destiny. And Father, we pray that you would give us the wherewithal to hand our lives over to you day by day. Father, we are grateful to, the, to you for the life we have, for the breath we have, for the opportunities that we have day by day. Father, to draw close to you. And Father, we know that when we draw close to you, you draw close to us. And so, Father, take us to that place where we can draw close to you, where we can meet with you day by day by day. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And Father, we thank you for the reality, Father, in these words. Lord, whatever happens in life, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you that that's a living reality in our lives. Nothing can separate us from you. And Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you thanksgiving today, Father, for all that you do in our lives, for all that you mean to us, Father. And Lord, we give you praise. Father, in these songs which we have been singing this morning, Father, we recognize that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. Father, that you birthed faith within us and that you will perfect faith within us. And we give you praise and honor and glory and thanksgiving for that. Lord, we just bless your name this morning and may your name be lifted up. May the name of Jesus be lifted up in this church in fresh and new and creative ways, Father, that he would draw people to himself. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died on that cross for our sins 2,000 years ago, that you came into this world and that Jesus was here in human form, a man walking the face of the earth who was holy obedient to you, who listened to every instruction and followed everything to the very letter. He came and said that I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He was the one who the whole law had been pointing towards, and his death on that cross was the ultimate sacrifice that brought an end to sacrifice. Father, one man who died and paid the price for our sin that our sin might be forgiven, that our sin might be covered over, that our account might be wiped clean. Father, that we might go free, free from sin, free from the guilt of sin and from the punishment of sin. And so, Father, we thank you for this living reality, this reality that we live in day by day, that we are free. And Father, we thank you that the Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed in every way imaginable. And Father, we thank you that we can be free in every way. Lord, nothing, nothing can stand against that freedom. And Lord, we just pray if there are areas in our lives where we're not free, where we're held captive by a certain thought or habit, Whatever it may be, Father, we pray that you just breathe the words of freedom into those situations. And Lord, we pray that we would shake off the sin which so easily and cleverly seeks to entangle us. And Father, may we run with perseverance the race that's set before us. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, away from every other thing that would distract us and keep our whole beings focused on you. So, Father, we ask that you continue to lead us in this service. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And, Father, we pray that our hearts and spirits would be open to receive what you want to say in your word today. And so, Father, to that end, we give ourselves in these next uh, few moments in our service, Father, to hear what the Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we ask.
just give me a little second to look up the relevant passage that we're going to be in. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today, and that's where our focus will be. We're going to read that chapter in just a little second. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to turn to it in your Bibles, that would be great. And uh, last week um, during church, we hadn't noticed during the service, but our friends Dave and Roxy had joined us online, so it was great to have them with us, and they send their regards and their greetings. Uh, Dave and Roxy Beach are in Arizona. These are the, the folks that we visited last year, which seems like a lifetime ago, my goodness, uh, but they send their regards to the church here. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that I'll send out an email today, um, which has come from AOG, and it's an email about the Impact 2540 appeal. Um, so we want to try and support those who are working in Afghanistan. Um, obviously, all the details of, of all the connections and, and ways that they want to help can't be uh, broadcast publicly for obvious reasons. Um, but sufficient to say that we have contacts in Afghanistan uh, where we want to try and offer some practical support. And so there's an email will come out today with information as to how you can give to the 25, the Impact 2540 appeal, uh, just to help the church that's struggling in Afghanistan at the moment. Um, I think that's what's one of, one of the things which is incredible about the church is that we can give financially, we can give prayerfully, and we know that those resources will be used wisely and properly. There's no corruption attached uh, to the way that the resources are used. So I'll send out an email about that today. We'll have all the information uh, for you to give directly to that appeal. Um, we have been praying for the situation in Afghanistan. I'm sure you have been. Um, we've been praying about that on a Wednesday night as well. And um, it, it just kind of reminds me of how many things we have to be thankful for. We, we, take, we take so much for granted. Um, even, even the fact that we live in relative peace uh, and safety in our nation. Um, so one of the things I wanted to announce as well, on the 25th of September, uh, Open Doors, an organization which we have supported, will be having, uh, be having a kind of mini conference. It's 25th of September. It's a Saturday night. I will include information about that in the email as well. Um, it's a conference which you can join online if you so desire. Um, that will be on Saturday night, um, the 25th. There is a youth uh, version on the 24th as well. Um, and so we invite you to, to come along to that. But the following day, Mark Hind, who represents Open Doors in Scotland, will be with us in church, and he will be speaking uh, in church on the 26th. So it'll be Saturday night, uh, the, the Open Doors event, Standing Strong. Sunday morning, Mark will be with us here in the church, and he will bring the Word of God to us. And then during that week, when we gather for prayer, Mark will be joining us uh, in, in prayer that evening. So it will not just be um, Sunday morning, let's hear about what God's doing and what's happening in the persecuted church. We will have an opportunity to do something about that, to pray. And uh, that leads me on to my last point, uh, which is to remind us that we have prayer on a Monday morning at 9.30 on Zoom and on a Wednesday night at 7.30 again on Zoom. And one of the things which I think is so important that we're able to do is to come together in prayer and to do the work of prayer. I don't, I don't know how you think about prayer. Is it just something that you think about, well, it's me and uh, my relationship with God? Prayer is about so much more. It is about that, but it's about us engaging with the things that God is doing in the world. And I, I sometimes think that prayer is as much about changing us as, a, as about anything else. And so we've been praying on a Wednesday night for people in the church, for situations, for things happening around us, for the situation in Afghanistan and other places. We were focusing on India as well. Uh, these things are still happening. Um, but prayer is a way that we can engage with the work of God and we can make a difference. So I encourage you to think really, really seriously and carefully about joining in prayer uh, on, on the occasions that we have 
Having said all that, I'm going to pray just for a second. Uh, I'm just going to pray for one or two things and then lead us into uh, a time where we look at the Word of God together for a few minutes. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us today. And Lord, we give you praise for who you are. Lord, we know that there are people in our church who need a touch in their body from you. Uh, Father, people who just need that extra uh, bit of support. And Father, we just pray for Caroline today. Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon her. Lord, that you bring just such a, a sense of your peace and, and healing and well-being into, into her. Lord, we thank you for Dawn and Josh who are uh, recovering. And Lord, we just pray that you'd cause them to recover fully and quickly, Lord. Lord, we thank you that Ian and Sarah are in uh, a safe place at the moment and uh, where, where they can quarantine um, and just recover from the effects of COVID. And Lord, we just again pray for a full uh, recovery from them, that they might be able to go on with the work that you have called them to do. And so, Lord, we just pray, even uh, in, in, in the, the reality of this far distant land, Lord, we, we know that we are connected through your spirit and we are connected through prayer. And so, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon them. And Lord, yet we do still remember those who uh, are grieving, those who need a touch from you, Father, those who are experiencing loss. And Father, we just remember each one before you. Father, people in our own church, Father, who have experienced the pain of loss. And so, Father, we just ask that you comfort and strengthen each one. And Lord, we do pray for the situation in Afghanistan and Lord, we've been praying for the, the persecuted church in India as well. And Lord, my prayer simply today is that you would strengthen the believers in nations where there is turmoil, nations where there is persecution, nations where there is restrictions on the freedom to come together and to worship. Father, nations where to profess faith in Jesus Christ just goes against the whole culture and constitution of the nation and Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your people, believers in every nation. And Lord, we lift them before you. And Lord, we ask that you would come in these moments and that you would open up our spirits, open up our minds to hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read from the New International Version today. And the title of this, you might think this is a bit of an odd thing to pick as a topic, but hopefully it will become clear as, as we go on. The, the title is Food Sacrificed to Idols. And Paul has been asked a question by the church in Corinth, what do you think about this whole thing about food being sacrificed to idols? Should we eat it? Should we not eat it? What, what should we do? And I, I think there are some lessons that we can learn about how we engage with others I don't have my clicker today, Lindsay, so maybe you could just flick to the next slide for me, which is the title of our uh, message and thought today, simply entitled, Others, Others. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food concern, uh, so now about food sacrifice to idols, and then there's a colon, there's a little gap here. We know that we all possess knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. And then he comes back in. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. So he starts to answer the question. Then he has a pause about this whole thing about knowledge. And then he goes back into answering the question again. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there is no God but one. For even if they are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And it's quite interesting that Paul is writing something which John would then write later on about how Jesus, who was there in the beginning with God, who created everything, nothing was made unless he made it. And it's really interesting that, that John reflects what Paul has written 
in, in, in his letter and his reply to the Corinthians on this question. Verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us nearer to God. We are no worse if we uh, do not eat, and we're no better if we do. Verse 9, but be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And that's one of the key thoughts in what Paul is saying here. Be careful, however, that in exercising your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating at an idol's temple, and he's talking about the church here, remember, he's addressing the Corinthian church, and what he has suggested here is that some of these people are actually eating food offered to idols, and they're eating it in the idol's temple. And it talks about this person who looks on and sees this happening. Won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. In other words, he's emboldened to do what the other person is doing, even though it's going against his conscience, because he thinks in himself, this actually is wrong, but if it's okay for them to do it, then it's okay for me to do it. But the Bible says that anything that's not a faith is sin. And so, if there is no faith to do that thing, then for that person it's sin. And this is a key thought. It's a key thought which over the last 30 years in this church has motivated some of my behavior. And we'll open that up uh, as we go along. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. We probably don't think about that. Exercising our freedom to choose the way that we want to live can actually be sinning against another brother or sister. We don't tend to think of that as being sin. We tend to think of being sin as all this big list of things that you're not allowed to do, and that's sin. But actually, how we treat and consider our brother and sister in church is so relevant in this passage. Let me just finish off a reading. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall Paul takes an extreme view, I think, as he closes that part. And it's quite interesting because he then goes on to talk about the rights of an apostle. If you flick through the pages, then he talks about, in chapter 10, warnings from Israel's history. Then he talks about idol feasts and the Lord's Supper. And then he comes back into this subject in chapter 10, verse 23, about the believer's freedom. And, he, and you will find the end, the answer to the end of the question uh, in that particular part, which I'm not going to read out just now. I'm going to try and come back to my notes and kind of steer us through this. Why is this important? And, and that, for me, is a crucial question. Why is this important? I think it's important because there are things in the Christian life that are not obviously right or wrong. This was one of the things that puzzled me about church. I'm like, why can we all read the same Bible, worship the same God, but have such varying opinions and differing views on things? Because we're at different places in our journey with God. We're at different places in our understanding. We have different levels of faith, and we come from different backgrounds, different upbringings. And the reality is that there are some things where it's just not clear if something's right or if it's wrong. And when it's not clear, then we, how do we know what we ought to do in a particular, in a given situation? The background to this particular question is that in the practices of that place, food was sacrificed to an idol in a temple, and what was left from that would be given to the priest who would either eat it himself, or he would sell that on, and it would find its way into the marketplace, 
And people would have this dilemma, should I buy meat that has been sacrificed to an idol in the marketplace? Some people who were obviously okay with it and thought it's fine were actually eating the meat in the idol's temple in full view of other people who might be weaker and I use that word with caution, Christians. I think what it's saying is newer Christians. I'll come on to that in just a little second. And if I could just go to the next slide, Lindsay, the key thought for me in all of this is, in the end, love trumps knowledge. Love trumps knowledge. In every single occasion, and if you read through the book of First Corinthians, You will know that Paul comes back into talking about worship in uh, chapter 11. He talks about communion. Chapter 12, he talks about gifts of the Spirit. And then he goes on into chapter 13 to talk about love and the centrality and the importance of love. Interesting, if you read the book of 1 John, how much John talks about love. John, in his famous gospel says, and and it's probably the most well-known verse in Scripture, John 3, 16, that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting love, life. God loves us, and I know that you appreciate the love of God as much as I do. Aren't you glad that God loves you? It's just incredible to think that the, the Creator of the whole universe loves us. And in the end, love trumps knowledge. And in two occasions in 1 John 4, he says, God is love. And this is the challenge for each of us. The challenge for each of us is to find a place, find a place in, our, in ourselves where we can begin to forget about ourselves. It's so difficult to forget about ourselves because we are so consumed by ourselves. The, main, the minute we wake up in the morning and, and, and you do all the things that you do, in the mo- you, you look in a mirror when you're brushing your teeth and all the things that you do, we're confronted by ourselves every day. But I think what Paul is saying here is we need to get to a place where we can forget about ourselves, forget about our rights, forget about our freedoms, the things which we go, well, it's okay for me to do that. You see, Paul, Paul begins to answer this question in verse 1, now about food sacrificed to idols. And then he has this break where he talks about knowledge. And the danger sometimes is as we mature as Christians, as we read more of the Bible, as we get to know more of the Bible, we think that's the thing that's important is this knowledge that's in our heads. But if you read what Paul says in the message translation written by Eugene Peterson in verse 2, he says, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than proud minds. Humble hearts help us more than proud minds. See, love always builds up. Love always edifies. And Paul, as I've said already, goes on to talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So he says, don't get so consumed about this thing called knowledge. In one of the translations, it talks about as being puffed up by knowledge. Can you imagine getting a balloon and beginning to blow into the balloon? I know a wee bit more. I know a wee bit more. I know a wee bit more. I know a wee bit more until the balloon gets so big that you think that's going to pop on one of these occasions. That knowledge can have that effect on us and that it builds us up in the wrong way. It puffs us up. And then Paul comes back to answer the question. And I think the most important thing in his rationale is that idols amount to nothing. He uses this term, so-called gods. And he makes this emphatic statement, we know that there is only one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. We also know that there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came into being. But in this situation, there are some new Christians who don't know this yet. They're on a journey from their old life into the new way of life, 
into the Christian life. And it's not always apparent as we're on that journey from the old way of life into the new way of life, sometimes what's right and what's wrong. I think very often when we're in doubt, we need to come back to what does the Word of God say. In a day and generation where truth has become relative, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Surely there are some things that need to be true and some things that need to be false. Still, culture might have changed, the way of thinking might have changed, but the world that we live in has not changed. People have not changed. So there are some things that are emphatically true. There are some things in the Word of God that are so clear that we know when we step outside of that, then we're rebelling against God and we're trying to do things in our own way. There are some areas where it's not clear and it becomes a matter of conscience. Paul is saying here, whether you eat that type of food or that type of food, it makes no difference. It's of no consequence in terms of our relationship with God, but it can affect our relationship with others. Just because something's not wrong doesn't mean that it's right for you to do it. Why? Because it may cause another Christian to stumble in their faith. I don't know about you, I don't want to be responsible for causing anyone else to stumble in their faith for whatever reason. I hope that my life can be an example to other people to follow and say, well, at the end of the day, we're trying to become like Jesus, aren't we? People should see Jesus in us, and we're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to be transformed through the renewing of our minds so that we think like Him, we talk like Him, we act like Him, and we love like Him. But sometimes, the way we think and the way we speak and the things we do can become a stumbling block to other people. What do we mean by a stumbling block? Let me give you an example. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, it was called Heart Hill, okay, where I was just a wee boy. I wasn't even at school yet. I'd finished dinner, and my older brother came, uh, shouted me through to come and look at the moon. See, even before I was at school, I was watching the moon. And so I went through, and I saw the moon. However, the problem is that on the way, there was a 12-inch wooden ruler. Do you remember the school wooden rulers? Have you seen those things? There was a school ruler type of thing sitting on the mantelpiece, which I took off and took to the window with me as I went to look at the moon. However, the problem was that on the way back, I had the ruler in my mouth. And there was a stumbling block in the room. You see, the problem was there was no lights on in the room other than the moonlight shining in the window. And I didn't see the stumbling block. The stumbling block was my mum's bag sitting next to the sofa. And so I'm walking back to the fireplace with a 12-inch ruler in my mouth. Bear in mind, I'm not even at school yet. And I didn't see the stumbling block. Three guesses what happened. I hit the stumbling block. I fell over. I hear a song coming on. And the 12-inch ruler, well, there was only one place for it to go. And believe me, it was a bit of a mess, a bit of a catastrophe. And uh, so much of a catastrophe that I've never forgotten it. That bag sitting there in the darkness of that room became, for me, a stumbling block. Too young to be aware of the danger. Too young to be aware of the danger of walking around with a 12-inch ruler in your mouth. When I see kids walking about with a ruler or anything else in their mouth, I just go, it's like, don't do that. It just creates a reaction within me because of what happened when I was a kid. The bag in the darkness became a stumbling block. And there are things in our lives which can become a stumbling block. Things which we're not aware of, we're not necessarily aware of the dangers, we're not even aware of our own behavior sometimes. And things in our lives can be a stumbling block, not only to us, but to other people as well. And what Paul is saying here is that we, we shouldn't be looking to use our own freedoms to do our own thing, thinking it's okay for me. 
without thinking about how your behavior, my behavior, affects somebody else. Let me give some examples of things where it's not necessarily clear what's right and what's wrong. Listening to certain types of music, watching certain types of films, reading certain types of books, drinking alcohol. Pause. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't drink. There's nothing that says you should. It was just a reality of life. It does say about not getting drunk. Eating certain foods. Is it right to eat black pudding? I remember we were down at conference and one of the big hygienes in AOG was passing by as I was eating my, my, my full English breakfast, it was, and uh, there was black pudding on my plate. And uh, he said, oh. Because do you remember when there was problems in the early church? They wrote to the, 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 the people, the, the Gentiles, if you like, the new believers, and they said, this is what you should do. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid uh, eating food with blood in it. There was a third thing which I can't remember. Can anybody remember? No, it doesn't matter anyway. Listen to certain types of music, what, what you watch, what you read, what you... All these types of things, there is not necessarily a right and wrong about it, and it becomes about our own conscience. But if something that we think is okay causes somebody else to stumble, then it becomes a problem. And alcohol is probably one of those things where we took a conscious decision to avoid alcohol simply because we were working with young people who may have found that a bit of a temptation. We were also working with, or we were trying to work with people in the streets who might be uh, addicted to substances, and you're thinking, it's absolutely of no consequence to me whether I, I drink alcohol or not, but for the sake of being able to work with people who it may be a problem to, I can happily not do that. I don't want people to be find me in the things which I think okay are a stumbling block. And really, Paul goes on to talk about these newer Christians. Some translations use this term, the weaker brother. And uh, to go on into verse 10, it says, if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened? In other words, the person is built up in the wrong way. It's like, okay, I can do that. But secretly, I don't think that's right. It just doesn't feel right because my conscience is bothering me. And when he's talking about weak, he's talking about Christians who at this point in time don't know necessarily how to decide between the things which are right and wrong, lawful and unlawful. They may be newer Christians and just don't know how to make that decision yet. And what Paul is saying is that we need to live our lives in a way that encapsulates everybody else. And there are various places where it talks about this. First Thessalonians 5.14, you can read it in there. Uh, Paul also talks about the same issues in Romans. I can't remember the, the reference off the top of my head. Because it's not just a, a Corinthian problem, it's a, it's a problem. Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 19 to 23. Why am I saying all this? Because there are things in life where we just don't necessarily know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. And we're all steeped in the middle of a situation just now where sometimes it's not obvious what the right thing and the wrong thing to do is. We're all stuck in a pandemic. We're all affected by a pandemic. Our church is affected by a pandemic. And sometimes, especially at this stage, it's not necessarily easy to tell what's right and what's wrong. So I, I mentioned last week about some, some of the changes in what's been said. But as you listen to people talking on TV, on radio, we realize there's this really complex conversation going on about the rights and the wrongs of what we should and shouldn't do during COVID. And there are so many different opinions, so many different factors to take into account, and we have to take these factors into account as well. 
I remember back in March 2020, and we were, or, or kind of in the lead up to March 2020, we were wrestling with this decision, are we going to have to close church down? Should, and then all of a sudden, the decision was taken away from us, and we had to close. It was very obvious that that was what we had to do. We had no choice in that. Not every church agreed with that. Some churches continued to meet as normal. No masks, no distancing, no hand sanitizers, all this type of stuff. And it became apparent that even in the church, our approach to things like COVID became different. And not every church, and I'm not talking about individuals here, not every church agreed in the right approach. You remember the debates, and the debate is still going on about the the balance between things like lockdown and the effect on the economy, the effect on people's mental health and well-being. And sometimes when it comes to these things, it's difficult for our leaders to know the right thing and the wrong thing. What is the priority? And so on a Wednesday night, consistently, we prayed for our leaders that God would give them wisdom. We prayed for our scientists that God would give them insight into a vaccine. And in the midst of all this, there are so many different people with so many different ideas and points of view. And I've heard so many different things over the last year and a half. Conspiracy theories, Bill Gates comes to mind, 666 comes to mind. And I'm like, really? And it has just scared me the way that the church some aspects of the church have responded to things like this. And it, it kind of made me go back into researching my studies on, on, on end-time theology. What, what's going to happen? And we've kind of touched on that briefly just before uh, the holidays. And I'm, I really feel maybe we're going to come back to that um, just to think about what that says. Conspiracy theories, you know, those who are really, really careful and getting on with life, and those who are really careful and, and finding it difficult to get on with life, people who are wearing masks, and people who are choosing not to wear masks, they don't keep their distance, and they don't bother about hand hygiene, the people who are standing behind me in the queue in the midst of COVID, and I'm like, will you just go away? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've probably experienced all these things, all the different ranges of opinions and different approaches those who are really fearful and don't engage with others in any way, those who've had the vaccine, those who've chosen not to have the vaccine for whatever reason, Christians and non-Christians, people of faith, all faiths and no faiths, people who have chosen one particular path and not another. And, and we're faced with a situation where even in the church, and all these different opinions are in the church as well, and not just our church, but the church in general, and you think, what is the right thing to do in this situation? Because it's not necessarily clear sometimes what's right and what's wrong. Our priority, just to remind everybody, is that safety, your safety, the church's safety, has been a priority. Continuing to worship God has been a priority as well, and we've endeavored to do that, and we've been thrown in at the very, very deep end, learning how to use technology and streaming and recording and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you remember that night way, way back um, where I was sitting recording at half past 10 at night. Do you remember that? That was the one where I thought I was recording it, and when I got to the end of everything, I hadn't hit the record button. And then I hit the record button the second time, did it all again, only to find out my phone had run out of memory. And so I had to do the ending again, and then I fluffed up the ending, and the ending made it through to the final edit. Do you remember that? And I was sitting with you in my home watching this edit and thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to say next? Oh, so stressful. The fourth ending was quite good, I thought. <laughs> I probably uh, retrieved it there. But we've all been stuck in this. And, and what I think we can learn from this passage about food sacrifice to idols is that we need to think about other people. And I think 
That's one of the keys. I put down a key thought. In the end, love trumps knowledge. Do we genuinely love each other from the heart? That love that we have for each other is more important than our knowledge about, let's use COVID as the example. I think we need to think collectively. We need to think collectively. During my holidays, the main thought in my head was from Matthew chapter 5, from the prayer which Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. And I only got as far as the first two words, our Father. Our Father. That's as far as I got in my meditations about the Lord's Prayer. I didn't get any further than that. Our Father. It's a collective prayer. It's something that we say together. We need to think collectively as well as individually. We're part of a body. And here's the key verse, and if you can just click Lindsay, please. Knowledge puffs up. Oh, no, sorry, that's not the key verse. But that's fine, just keep that one there. The, the verse before that is, is 1 Corinthians 8, 1 was what I was going to say. Knowledge puffs up the individual, but love builds up the body. And this is the key verse. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Listen to what I'm not saying, okay? I want to be really clear about this. Just because we may be fearful or cautious about COVID doesn't mean to say that we're weak, okay? Let me be really care, careful about saying that. I'm not likening uh, being fearful and cautious about COVID like the weaker brother. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there are principles that we can learn from this passage of Scripture about how we treat others, about how we think collectively, about how we look after each other, about coming together as the body of Christ and making sure that each other is okay. Despite we think this is okay, and why, why don't you agree with me? And I think that's okay, and why do you not agree with me? At the end of the day, both viewpoints points may be equally valid, but it's about considering others and realizing that we might have different approaches on things, but at the end of the day, love trumps knowledge. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 13. And I've got another two pages of notes to go, and we're just going to have to leave it because time's marching on. There are things in life and in the Christian life where it's not about whether something's right or wrong because it may not be obvious. The bigger issue is whether or not it will be a stumbling block to others, to those who are young in the faith perhaps, or even to those who may become Christians. And there's more that we could say about this passage. God loves you more than you will ever know. In 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul begins to speak about love, he says that where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We know a little bit, we know in part, then there'll come a day where we will experience God's presence immediately. And all the things which we thought we knew and we thought were important will suddenly not really matter. And all the things that get in the way of us being church will suddenly not really matter because we will see the embodiment of love face to face. The God who loves us, Jesus who died for us, the man who's in heaven right now, we will see face to face. And all the trivialities, all the things where there's not necessarily a right answer or a wrong answer will all fall into perspective. And I think there'll be a lot of things that don't really matter on that day when we meet him face to face. One of my favorite lines from 1 Corinthians 13 is in verse 8. It opens verse 8 and it says, love never fails. Love never fails. All these other things will pass away, but love never fails. Why? John told us in his first letter in chapter 4, God is love. God never fails. 
And as we are becoming like Jesus, we will learn how to express the love of God to others. Let's just finish with a prayer today and let's just commit ourselves into God's care for this week. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he loves us, that he demonstrated that love on the cross, that he died for our sins. Father, that he died for uh, the things which we might not even be aware that our sins, Lord, the ways that we're living our lives, sometimes we we're just not even aware that something is causing a problem for somebody else. And Father, we ask like the psalmist in Psalm 139 that you would come and that you would search us, that you would try us, that you would test us, that you would know our anxious thoughts. Father, that you would see if there's anything within us that is causing somebody else to stumble, that is a stumbling block in our relationship with you. And Father, that you would help us to deal with that. Father, we confess our weakness to you today. Father, we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace which is poured out upon us, for your love which you lavish upon us, Father. And Lord, we give you thanks for that. And so, Father, we ask, lead us into this week. Father, help us to think about the way that we are thinking about things in relation to how that impacts other people. Father, help us to think whether or not the things which we know are maybe a stumbling block to others. And Lord, despite our differences of opinion, as we continue in a difficult season, Father, as we continue through this crisis, Lord, we pray, help us to be sensitive to what you want to say to us. And Lord, may we know with such a certainty that you're giving us peace in certain situations. Lord, help us to be mindful of each other, mindful of each other's differences of opinions, Father, where something is not necessarily clearly right or wrong. And Father, help us not to condemn each other, but Father, to encourage each other. Father, help us not to judge on things which maybe are unclear and don't matter quite so much, but Father, to judge on the important things. And Father, John again said that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another, that we love each other. Lord, may love be the hallmark of this church, of our lives. Father, may love be the hallmark of your church across our nation. And Father, we ask that you breathe upon your church and our nation. Lord, that you breathe new life into us. May we be receptive to what you want to do, to what you want to say. Father, may we be receptive to the life of the Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, we just ask for your blessing on every family. We ask for your blessing on this church, for all who are gathered in person, for all who are gathered online. And, Lord, may we continue to walk in your light day by day. Father, give us light to see. Lord, that there'd be no stumbling blocks hidden in the darkness that will trip us up. Give us light to see. We thank you that you're a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And so, Father, we ask, lead us on into this week and help us to be mindful of each other as well as of you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. I do need to do one last thing. And uh, I just realized as I was finishing off there that I hadn't done this. And I was ably reminded by my assistant up the back. Thank you very much. Um, may you have a great week and the Lord bless you. Um, and just if you've got anything that you need to talk about, any questions you have over the COVID stuff and our approach, just feel free to ask. Lord bless you.